Well, um, I'm Tim. Uh, I also help, um, I work at this church and I help oversee this service. And I'm really excited because tonight we are beginning a new sermon series called Sent. And for three weeks together, we're going to stick in the same bit of Luke's gospel. I've just read four verses, but we're going to do the whole chapter together. And we're going to consider what it means to be sent out by God. In this moment, Jesus sends out his followers to be workers. And we're going to see what that means for us today. Um, I wonder if any of you have ever seen one of the seven Mission Impossible films that are out there. Um, you might imagine that preparing for a sermon is a very holy process involving, you know, lots of Bible reading and prayer, listening to worship music the whole time, possibly in a darkened room with candles, because that feels really holy. But actually, I spent some of my prep time for this watching clips on YouTube. And I was interested in a particular scene that happens in every Mission Impossible film, you know, where Tom Cruise picks up the phone on the voice on the end of the line says, your mission, should you choose to accept it? Your mission, should you choose to accept it? And then they outline the mission. Um, and if you like, what I'm speaking about today and what I think this sermon series in, in Luke is going to be about and what I think God wants to say to us is, I have a mission for you, should you choose to accept it? This is going to be a time of hearing God say to us, I want to send you out. Will you accept my call? Now, this mission, um, sadly to some of you I know, isn't to be like Tom Cruise, an international spy or an assassin or something, uh, which I know is a disappointment, but it's to be, in the words of Jesus, a worker in his harvest field. Um, let's uh, read again just a bit from verses 2 and 3. Jesus told his disciples, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And therefore, what we do, he says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. And when he says that, he's talking about people. He's saying there are many people to be brought to me, to become Christians, to give their lives to me. And therefore, workers are needed. Here's your mission, he's saying, if you choose to accept it. And Jesus is talking about doing the kind of stuff that he's been doing proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of God that people might be one to him. And this is the mission that Jesus is still looking to send people out to do. You remember in Mission Impossible, if you've seen it, excitingly, I don't know how, you know, sometimes it's like a, there's a CD that ha happened to you and then there's a tape in the various clips that I watch. It says, this message is going to self-destruct in 10 seconds. Um, now, thankfully, every time we read the Bible, that doesn't happen. Um, God's message hasn't self-destructed. It's still there. And Jesus still says to us, just as he said to his disciples, the 72 that he sent out, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. I have a mission for you, says Jesus, should you choose to accept it. Now, I suppose what I'm talking about tonight, and we are thinking about for a few weeks, often it gets called evangelism. And that is a, for many of us, that's a scary thing. That's a big thing. That might be a challenge. It could be a real excitement. But God still wants to call his followers to do his work. God wants to use you. So let's go through this passage and let's see the way that Jesus sent out his original followers because it's going to show us how God wants to send us out. Here's the first thing we're going to see. Firstly, we're going to see that God sends anyone to reach everyone. God sends anyone to reach everyone. 
Let's read verse 1 again. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Now, when we come to chapter 10 of Luke's gospel, and by the way, when I see Luke's gospel, what I mean is an account of Jesus' life. There are four of them in the Bible. This one that we're reading from is written by a doctor called Luke. And he gets to this point in his tale, recounting of Jesus' life, and it's like he shifts the focus because he spent the first nine chapters really focusing on the works of Jesus, the miracles, the way Jesus has been showing the power of God, especially as he's healed people and delivered people. So he's focused on the works of Jesus, as now he switches especially to the words. So if you have one of those Bibles that has red letters in it, you'll see that there are more and more red letters, because Jesus is speaking. And here Jesus speaks, and he speaks to his followers, and he sends them out. He says, go ahead of me and visit all the places where I'm about to go, because it says in chapter 9 that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. He's traveling north to south down there, and Jesus says, go ahead of me on the journey that I'm about to make because I've got a mission for you. And just in this one verse, it shows us that God wants to use anyone to reach everyone. God wants to send anyone to reach everyone. Notice this in verse 1 again. Luke writes that Jesus, who is the Lord, appointed 72 others. 72 others. And that little phrase, that actually tells us so, so much. Firstly, it shows us that God will send anyone to do his work. How do you notice they're described? Others. Others. We don't know anything about them. Are they men? Are they women? How do they like their breakfast? Are they tall? Did they go to university? I don't know. We don't know. Who are they? They're just others. They're just people who have shown up to be used by God. Have you seen that bit in Monsters, Inc.? Here's me quoting another film. I think this is about the third time I'll do this tonight. There's a bit in Monsters, Inc. where you've got Sully and Mike, and Sully's the big blue character, and Mike is his little green friend. And Sully's kind of the hero, and he, when they, their company is shown on TV, he's the one who gets his face shown. And Mike, both times, is hidden by the logo and then by a barcode. And the joke is that little Mike is like, oh my goodness, I'm famous. I'm on TV. I'm in a magazine. But he's hidden. I wonder if it's a bit like that here. It's people who are being used by God. They're in the story. But all we get about them is others. We get others. Jesus is just choosing people and using people who have shown up. You see, the great contrast is with Luke 9. In Luke 9, Jesus sends out the 12. He sends out his closest hand-picked followers. And if we just had that, we might be tempted to think, ah, God uses super-Christians. You know, he uses the people who are named. Maybe you might want to think in terms of modern terms and think, yeah, Tim, he uses clergy. And that's you, so get on with it. But God uses others. God uses people who have made themselves available to him. So don't discount yourself by being used by God. Because he uses people who say yes to him. He sends anyone to reach everyone. And this is the second point. God wants to reach Everyone, And we see that just in this little phrase, 72. Doesn't it strike you that that's quite a specific number? How many people does he send out? How many others does he send out? 72. We don't know anything about them, but we know how many he sent. What's the significance of that? Well, again, if you contrast it to Luke 9, Jesus sends out 12 disciples. And when Jesus sent out 12 disciples, he said, go only, in the words of Jesus, to the lost sheep, of the house of Israel. In other words, go to the Jewish 
people. Don't talk to anyone else. You're only going to Jews. And what people who have studied the Bible have pointed out is that Jesus sends 12 disciples to reach 12 tribes of Israel. So he sent them to a specific group. And now he sends 72. And that number points us back to Genesis 10. And in Genesis 10, there is a section called the Table of Nations. And how many nations are there? 72. And they represent the whole earth. And this is Jesus' way of demonstrating that his message, his gospel, is going out to the whole earth. God wants to reach everyone. It wasn't just for the Jewish people. It was for everyone. And the word that gets used in the Bible is Gentiles. And on this journey that they were going to take were Gentile areas. Jesus is sending anyone to reach everyone. His gospel is for everyone. Now, you might hear this thing, right, Tim? Yes, got it. I need to start tomorrow. I'm going to start talking to people. God wants to send me. I mean, I'm on Zoom all day, so that's going to be awkward because I'm going to have to keep interrupting my Zoom calls, but I'm going to do it. But we don't have to feel the pressure here. Do you notice how he sends them out? He sends them out two by two. It's a bit like Noah's Ark, but the other way around. They don't come in, they go out. He sends them out two by two, and that's how God uses us. He uses us together to play our part. It doesn't all depend on us. It doesn't all depend on us. But God does want to send anyone to reach everyone. But why is Jesus doing this? Why is he sending out his followers? What's it all about? Well, it's because of the assessment that he makes. Let's read it again, verses 1 to 3. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers. Go, I'm sending you out. Has anyone here seen Jeremy Clarkson's farm? Um, This is actually the second time I've mentioned it in a sermon. I didn't realize it had quite such an impact on me. But in Jeremy Clarkson's farm, which is fascinating to learn all about farming and all how that works, one of the scenes is they're measuring the crop that they're about to um, take in to find out if it's the right time for harvest. And they use a machine to find out the moisture content. And if it's too low... If it's too dry, it's not going to work. And if it's too high, if it's too wet, it's not harvest time. But when it's within a certain range, it's go time, it's harvest time. It's, you know, time to bring in the crop. And I reckon that Jesus is doing the same kind of thing here. He's not using a machine. He's using the Holy Spirit, as it were. He's making a spiritual assessment, and he's looking out to people. That's what he means by the harvest. And he's saying, it's time. The time is now. It's harvest time. People are ready to be brought to me. It's time for people to give their lives to me. The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And notice the urgency with which he speaks. You see this in verse 4? He says, don't take a purse or bag or sandals and don't greet anyone on the road. Don't take a purse or bag or sandals and don't greet anyone on the road. And this is a bit strange. And I'll tell you why it's a bit strange. Because he's told them to go on a journey and he's told them to talk to people. So why is he telling people not to pack anything and not to talk anyone? It's because the message is urgent. Jesus is making a point. He's saying, don't be delayed. Don't be delayed by getting all your stuff together. Don't be delayed with, you know, trying to get all your ducks in a row and have you done all those things on your to-do list and have you got your bags ready. I take ages to pack. I left my packing for Christmas Day to go away to see my family till Christmas Day and I got back from church. And I thought, why did I spend this long packing? And Jesus is making the same thing. He says, don't pack. Don't be burdened and don't be weighed down. Because this task is urgent. And then he says, don't greet anyone on the road. And that's quite a countercultural thing to say. Because he's talking into a culture 
where greetings, and especially formal greetings, were very, very important. If you saw someone, there were ways and rules and things to say. But this task, this moment, this assessment that he's made leads him to say with such urgency, don't let anything hold you back. It's harvest time. The harvest is plentiful. God wants to send anyone to reach everyone. But we also see this in the way that Jesus sends out his followers and he wants to send us. We see that God sends us into his harvest field. God sends us into his harvest field. The harvest is plentiful, but the works are few. What's he say therefore? Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers to where? His harvest field. Who's in charge of the harvest field? God. Who does the harvest field belong to? God. There was an um, a, a action song that we used to sing when I was growing up in church, and it was called The Lord of the Jungle, and he went, oh, it's King of the Jungle, and he went, who's the king of the jungle? And everyone goes, who, who? Well, it's a bit like that here. Who's the Lord of the harvest? Who, who? It's Jesus. Who's in charge of it? Him. Who, who? He is the Lord of the harvest. God is in charge of everything. The earth belongs to him and everything in it, as the psalm says. And actually, he's the one that is in charge, if you like. Everyone and everything belongs to him. And Jesus says, therefore, ask God, who is in charge of this harvesting business, to send people out. And where is he sending them? Into God's place, into his harvest field. And notice what Jesus does when he makes this assessment. He probably thinks differently to us. He probably does the opposite way around. You see, we might think, ah, well, see, God, basically, we're all willing. You know, we all want people to become Christians. We, you know, we're praying for various people, and God, we're willing. But basically, the problem is with the harvest. I don't know if you've noticed, but this task is jolly hard, and people just don't seem to listen to me. Jesus says the opposite. He says the harvest is plentiful, and the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful. Let that encourage and stir your faith. And think about how many millions and billions of people have given their lives to God since then. It's estimated that there are two billion Christians in the world now. There have been millions and billions and there will be until God comes again. Jesus was saying the harvest is plentiful. And that means... That even though there's this wonderful thing that God uses us, it means that God's been at work. To say that the harvest is plentiful means that God the Holy Spirit has been at work in people's hearts. God goes before us when he sends us out. And then when Jesus sends out these 72 and when he sends out the 12, he says he gives them his authority. And he says, you represent me. And then he sends them in the power of the Holy Spirit, which means God goes with us. God goes before us, he goes with us. And then it says, he sends them to the places where he himself was about to go. So as well as going before us and going with us, God comes after us. He is the Lord of the harvest field. And yet, the one who's in charge of everything wants to use us. He wants to use us. He wants to use you and he wants to use me. He wants to use anyone who'll say yes to being used by him. And we might think, I'm pretty sure, God, that you could do a better job of this than me. I'm pretty sure you could find someone else better than me. You know, why would God possibly 
need us. Why does he need us? But the truth is he doesn't, but he chooses in love to partner with us. This is an invitation. This is this moment of God saying to us, I'm inviting you. I've got a mission for you. Should you choose to accept it? Because I want to use you and I want to send you out. Now, one of the questions that will come up as we're talking about this is you might inevitably say, okay, great, yes, but how and what are we talking about? Well, when we say this kind of harvest work, right, what do we, what do we mean? And then maybe once we've understood that, we might say, okay, yeah, I think I, I grasp what you're saying, but how do we do that? And we're going to come to some of those questions in the next couple of weeks. But there was a man called Viggo Sogard, and he was in the 70s, and he was looking at this passage, and he described what being a harvest worker meant in three simple words. And he took the analogy of harvesting and reaping a crop, and he used three, these three words. He talked about sowing, reaping, and refining. And he was using these words to describe what happens when you plant seeds, which is sowing, and then you reap the crop, which is bringing in the crop, and then refining, which is, which is what you do when you brought in a crop, you distill it into something that can actually be used and eaten, and you know, barley becomes wheat, for instance. So sowing, reaping, and refining. And his suggestion, and I think he's right, is that that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking about going out and sowing the word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he's talking about reaping, as in leading people to a decision or a moment where they can say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus Christ. And then he's talking about refining, which is like disciple-making. You know what Jesus says in Matthew 28? Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And that's exactly the kind of workers that Jesus is looking for. He's looking for people who will plant the seeds of the word of God as they share, as they proclaim and demonstrate God's kingdom. And he's looking for people who will walk alongside people and walk with people in that kind of reaping way where we lead people in the power of the Spirit, again, because it's all about the Holy Spirit, to God. And then he's looking to us to make disciples. And once again, we might be like, God, but you would do a much better job of that than me. And God says, yeah, but you're my workers. You're the ones I choose. You're the ones I love. And you're the ones I want to work with. And it's this kind of sowing, reaping, and refining work that Jesus is talking about and God is calling us to. Just before Christmas, um, I, along with every other 25 to 32-year-old in Lambeth, contracted covid um, sadly. And this meant, among other things, that I actually uh, missed my birthday celebrations. Um, I won't tell you how old I was. I'll give you a clue. It begins with th and ends with 32. You might be able to work that out. But the combination of my birthday on the 20th and then the new year, just shortly after, and maybe you've been doing a similar thing, it's had me thinking about, okay, what does it mean for me? What does it mean for us to follow Jesus in 2022? What does it mean to be a disciple of God? You know, what's this thing about being a Christian? And uh, what I've been especially challenged on as I've read Luke 10, as I've thought about this, is that I can be tempted to make following Jesus too narrow and small a thing. As in, I don't go after all that God has for me, but I stick to my comfort zones. Because it can be quite easy to reduce, especially as you think about your New Year's resolutions that you're going to make. Hey, what do I want to go after this year? It can be very easy just to reduce, to reduce following Jesus to basically being a nice person and reading your Bible a bit more. So if you think about your goals for the year, you can reduce it to basically just being kind and trying to be a bit holier as you pray more, as you read your Bible more, you know, doing that thing you've always wanted to do. 
But when we come to Luke 10, what we see is this bigger picture of what it means to follow Jesus. It's been given language by a pastor called John Mark Comer. He'll be known to some of you. He um, leads a church in Portland, Oregon. And he talks about following Jesus, being a disciple, an apprentice, as meaning three things. Being with Jesus, being like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. Being with Jesus, being like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. And if you take Luke 10, what you can actually do is map three sections of it onto those three things. Because in Luke 10, we have this moment that we've just read and we're going to stick with for the next two weeks of Jesus sending out the 72 to do what he did. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, freely you've received, freely give, says Jesus. Go out and do what I've been doing. Proclaim the kingdom of God and demonstrate it. Doing what Jesus did. But just after that, we get the section of the good Samaritan. Who remembers that parable? Someone comes to Jesus and said, who's my neighbor? And in response, Jesus tells him an amazing story about the person who looked out for a man who'd been beaten up. And if you like, he's talking about being like Jesus there. If you want to map it onto the John Mark Homer thing, or the other way around, because the Bible came first. Being like Jesus, being loving, being full of love. But then also in Luke 10, you've got the story of Mary and Martha. And the story of Mary and Martha is just this little snippet where Jesus is with his two friends and Martha is busying herself around the house. But Mary's sitting at his feet, listening to his teaching. And Mary's fretting, uh, Martha's fretting about, and, but Jesus says, actually, Mary's chosen the right thing to do. Mary has chosen the thing that really matters, which is to be with me, to be in my presence and to hear my voice. And if you like, that's probably the being with Jesus bit. And having those three things together, the Mary Martha story, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and this sending out the 72, really does show us that to be a Christian, you can't just read your Bible and be in God's presence all the time. Because you need to be a good neighbor to people as God has called you to be. And also, God sends you out to be a worker in his harvest field. But also, it's not enough just to be a, a harvest worker, if you like, doing that reaping, refining thing without being a good neighbor to people and loving them and also coming under the truth of God's word and being with God. And also, and this is the one I think is probably the more challenging one, it's not enough just to be a good neighbor and to be with God. And those are distinct things. Being a good neighbor, being loving is distinct from the way God wants to send you out to do what he did. In 2022, don't reduce following Jesus to something smaller than God has called us to. God wants you and he calls you to be with him, to sit at his feet, to be in his presence, to hear his word. Do it every day. But also, be a good neighbor. Be love to the people that are around you. And also, hear God say again to you today, I want to send you out because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And let me tell you, there's nothing like having a glimpse of being used by God for the kind of work that Jesus is talking about. There's nothing like being used by God. I don't really have many stories of leading people to become Christians, but here's one that I do have. Let me tell you about my friend Lucy. Lucy and I knew each other at university, and we're friends in the same halls, and we had a group of friends, and we all, you know, eventually a lot of us moved to London, and I think about three years after I, or four years after I moved to, to London, she was also here too. And she'd actually, she was in a flat in the bit between the commons, between Wandsworth Common and Clapham Common. 
And we ended up handing out, hanging out one Saturday. And we were talking about, you know, the normal things you do when you catch up with someone. And I think she was quite interested in my new job because I'd just moved to London. She was working for a selling wine. And I was working for a church. And I think she was quite interested in that. So she was asking me questions. But as the conversation went on, the questions became sort of deeper and more personal. Because she just wasn't interested in the, my, my day-to-day, but she was interested in what was driving me. Why was I choosing to work for church? And then also, she started getting onto the question of basically what my own faith was. She asked me about that. And essentially, then, I had this opportunity to ba- basically share the gospel. So if you want someone to tee you up with a good opportunity to talk about Jesus, I think I had it. And I'm going to be honest, at first, I kind of bottled it. And I was kind of cagey, and I was kind of clumsy, and I was sort of veiling what I was saying. You know, why was I doing what I was doing? Well, it was something about, you know, the love of God, and I know God loved me. And I basically said something about, you know, um, we're sinners, but God has come in Jesus, and we can have a relationship with him. But I didn't say it like that. I kind of half said it. And then she said something, and she said, actually, I'm really interested in that. And I realized I needed to actually be bold and say what I think it really means that God has come for us in Jesus. And so I don't think I did a very good job, but as best I could, I tried to share what it means for God to love the world so much that he would send his only son, that all who would believe in him can have eternal life and won't perish. And at the end of that, I ended by saying, and God loves you enough to do that, Lucy. And uh, I found that she was crying. Now, I don't always know where people are at, but even I could work out that something might be going on in that moment. I think something's up. Now, I didn't know what to do, so I was like, we'd better come to church. Saturday, I invited her to church on Sunday. And she came along to my church in Chiswick, which is in West London, and she spent the whole, she won't mind me saying this, but she spent the whole service crying. And I didn't really know what to do then either. You you okay? And again, I was like, I think something's up, you know? I think something's going on. But I didn't know what to do again. So what I did was gave her a Why Jesus booklet. And the Why Jesus booklet is this very little book written by Nicky Gumbel, founder of the Alpha Course, which just explains in a very brief way what it is, you know, for God to love us. Again, just a bit more of that good news, that gospel message. And I gave that to her, and they said, right, what I think we'd better do is go to Alpha at HTB on Wednesday night. And Alpha at HTB was quite a fun thing. I was in a smaller church then, but you go to Alpha at HTB, and there's about eight or 900 people in the building, and just before it starts, you know, the lights go off, and the worship band's there, and I was like, oh, this, this is going pretty well. And then after a short talk, it was time for a discussion. And during the discussion time, I realized something was going on, something remarkable was going on, because there was Lucy on her first night of Alpha. Bear in mind that she hadn't grown up as a Christian. She'd gone to church a few times, but she, her parents weren't Christians, her family weren't Christians. And there she was on the first night of Alpha, talking as if she was a Christian. And it was like she was helping all the people who were there with their questions. It was a little bit like she was a group leader, and she didn't even know it. And again, I thought... I think something's gone on here. And we had a chance to have some food after Alpha. And I asked her, there's a, there's a little prayer at the back of that Why Jesus booklet. Lucy, you didn't happen to pray that, did you? And she said, yeah, I did. 
And it's that, just that prayer that um, Rico Tice led us in at the end of the service last week. A simple prayer just saying, God, I'm sorry for what I've done and I give my life to you. And I said, Lucy, I think you've become a Christian. And it was amazing. You could just see that not only did she believe in God, but that she believed in Jesus Christ, wanted him to forgive her of her sins, and she wanted to give her life to him. It was amazing. And let me tell you, even recounting the story now is encouraging to me. Because there's nothing like being used by God in just a tiny way to bring someone to that kind of thing. Because I'm not even sure where I can really take credit. Because every step of the way, I'm not sure I did a very good job. And I didn't really know what I was doing. And as we talked, one of the things that stood out to me, she was saying, actually, of course, I knew you and some other Christians at university. And I thought this was remarkable. Because at university, I was spending most of my time being, doing a terrible job of trying to represent Jesus. But God had been at work in her heart. You remember that sowing thing from the, the model? God had been sowing his seeds in her heart, even through Christians who were willing to stand up and say, yeah, I'm going to church or see you or whatever we were doing. God had gone before me. And then here's the thing. If I was there, even if I was doing a poor job of trying to share the gospel, the Holy Spirit would have been at work in her heart. That's the only way that people come to God is that the Holy Spirit opens people's eyes to Jesus Christ. And as the, well, I looked ahead to her life, one of the things that I felt prompted to encourage her was, I think you're going to be an evangelist, Lucy, which just means someone who goes and shares the good news. God was going ahead. And God, even if you feel weak tonight, wants to use you to do exactly that kind of thing. God wants to use you to bring people to him. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send people out and go, I'm sending you. And Jesus wants to say the very same thing to you tonight. Pray that I'd send people out. And if you're up for it, join me in adventure and go yourself. God wants to send anyone to reach everyone. And God, who's in charge of everything, sends us into his harvest field. And here this final point, and it's a really important thing. God sends us in weakness how does God send us? Well, it's not in strength, but it's in weakness. Look at this in verse three. Go, said Jesus, exclamation mark. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Like lambs among wolves, said Jesus, fully aware of the manner in which he was sending his followers out, sending these 72 out. Sending them out in a position of weakness and not strength. Sending them out actually to a world that might be hostile. Here's another movie reference. Has anyone ever seen or heard about the film Rambo? Okay, well, God doesn't send us out like Rambo. He sends us out like Lambo. I'm sorry. Go, said Jesus. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. So if you hear this tonight and you're hearing me talk, even if your heart, there'll be some of you, you'll hear this this topic tonight, and your heart will be burning within you, and you feel like God is speaking to you very specifically, but even if you've got that, there might be some of us tonight, you're like, yes, but I can't possibly do this thing, Tim. And you might have heard my story, and you might be thinking, yeah, that's great for you, Tim, you're a vicar, you know, I feel like you're fairly bold and confident, I feel like you could do that thing, but I'm not sure I could. However you feel, 
remember that God sends out in weakness and not strength. He sends us out like lambs. And for God to send you out like a lamb is a wonderful thing because God sends you out in the manner in which you're with him in the first place. What does Psalm 23 say? The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not be in want. Your good shepherd who's in charge of your life and cares for you wants to send you out in the very way that you're with him in the first place. In total dependence upon him. Because yes, we in our own strength can't convince anybody of anything. We in our own strength can't bring people to the Lord. But in his strength and by his spirit, we can partner with him to do just that. As God says to us, I've got a mission for you should you choose to accept it. Quickly, who has God sent you to? Well, there's only two groups of people that God could send you to. People you know or people you don't. For some of you tonight, because again, you'll hear this and you think, okay, great, but does this mean that I've got to quit my job and become you know, an itinerant vicar, evangelist person? Maybe, yeah. For some of you tonight, actually as this goes out, God is calling you to leave from where you are, to go out like these people did. But for most of us, what I think God wants to do for a start is to say, change your perspective. Can you see what I see? Can you see people the way that I see them? And can you see the opportunity and the people that have come to me? No matter where I've sent you to do it, can you see that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few? And if you want something practical to do, Pray the kind of prayer that Jesus told you to pray. What's he say? The harvest is plentiful, the works of you. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send people out. He's talking about prayer. Pray that God would send people to do his work. If you want to be really practical about it, you can set a reminder in your phone at 10.02 every day. This is Luke 10, verse 2. Pray every day or whenever you want that God would send people out. But here's the thing, you start praying that prayer, and it's a dangerous one, because you start saying, oh God, send them out, Lord, send the willing ones, and you might find yourself saying, and here I am, Lord, send me. So tonight, I'd encourage you to pray, but I'd encourage all of us to ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit for this task, to fill us to do what we need to do in his strength, to fill us that our hearts might be broken for a world that needs to hear about Jesus Christ. To fill us so that we go in his strength and not trying to do it in our own. And fill us so that we can do his work.